0: No. So, this morning, what I want to do is uh, we're in a series called Taking Ground, and this is about taking kingdom ground, and I want to talk this morning about three inseparable chapters from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Oftentimes, they're preached... Or taught individually. So, chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts and the essential nature of those spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is Paul's inspired hymn about unselfish love. And chapter 14 is about divine order in the church. They're actually one message, one homily, one section of scripture. You almost can't read or understand what Paul was talking about in any chapter without reading the whole thing and looking at it in light of that whole section of Scripture. The gifts of the Spirit and the expression, the animations of the Holy Spirit are essential. Unselfish love is essential the divine order of things is essential. It's one passage. And so I want to go through and the, the passage we're going to be studying is chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, but I'm going to give some paraphrase or summary to the other sections of that overall section of Scripture so that we can look at it in light of one or the other. So if you have your Bibles with you, you may follow along or I I will also be reading from the Family Bible online. Um, Chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part but of many. He goes on in chapter 12 in verses 15 through 30 to basically say, your distinctive roles all function together as one body. And that when the Holy Spirit animates us together as a church or as a family, as a body of believers, He's animating us in some kind of motion and expression that makes sense. And that we're not all left elbows, we're not all right ears, we're not all heads, we're not all arms in the moment. Your distinctive roles all function together as one body, Christ. And then he gets to a very troubling verse for, I think, for a lot of us, um, Verse 31 in chapter 12 says, Now continue in zeal for the highest spiritual gifts, charismata, and in addition, I will give directions for a journey over a difficult mountain pass, which is huperbolon hoden. You may not have heard that kind of translation before because it's a, it's a literal transate, translation from the Greek. And so oftentimes you will, we read at the end of chapter 12, basically um, I've talked to you about all these gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapter 12, now forget them and move on to the higher gifts of faith, hope, and love, and leave everything else I said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Does that pass the smell test, really? I mean, is the Holy Spirit going to inspire Paul to spend and write a whole chapter about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then at the end say actually don't pursue those pursue higher gifts and i'm going to show you a more excellent way that's apart from everything i just said when in fact the beginning of chapter 13 we often will read it that way i like if if i speak with the tongues of angels and i have not love i'm i'm nothing if i do all these things he goes through these gifts and and and, and we think that really okay so nothing he said in chapter 12 probably really matters. It doesn't merit my earnest passion to seek out what is in that chapter because Paul was just saying, forget all that and move on to the higher gifts. Actually, the literal translation is not just a more excellent way. What he's saying is, is that where God's love, agape, where we draw our name, the unselfish love of the Father, where God's love will lead you individually and will lead the church, where God's love will lead you, is like a high mountain pass. I talked to Heidi in Daybreak Chapel. She uh, works with our fourth through sixth graders, and she does a lot of backpacking. And she said, hiking up a high mountain pass, it takes a lot of preparation, You have to have a lot of tools and provisions and things along the way. And it's a lot of trudging up. It's work. It's difficult work, but it's worth it. And what he's saying is is that God's love will lead us as people. It will lead us as a church into places that are broken and filled with hatred, violence, difficulty, lies, deceit, sickness. God's love will motivate us and lead us into those places. And if we don't have the tools that He gave us in the Holy Spirit, we won't make it. And in the high mountain pass, just to say, um, to further emphasize why He's painting that picture of this high mountain pass, many translations of the later in chapter 13 will say, and finally, your love never fails. The literal translation is your love never falls. Now, if you've never talked about that, you might think, well, that's a typo. It should be your love never fails. And I don't have anything wrong. I'm not, I don't have an ax to grind with your love never fails. It, that is totally true. You can preach on love at weddings and funerals and every other service. You can preach on unselfish love and it's good, and it's worthy. Love never does fail. But what he's saying was love never falls because he's talking about the high mountain pass, the treacherous path, that the God kind of unselfish love will lead you and will lead us together. And so he also says, so now... um, He's leading us to say, you know, at the end of chapter 13, it says, now these things, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What he's drawing a distinction to is that faith, hope, and love are eternal. We're not being saved unto some kind of place of eternal rest. We're being saved into eternal life. God's creative power and his creative energy is going to flow throughout the universe and beyond into forever, and we're going to be a part of it. That faith that remains is a trust in him. The hope that remains is the hope into what's next and what's future, and how is the creative awesomeness of our God going to expand forever and ever And the love, the unselfish love that knits us together and knits us together with Him, those three will remain eternally. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit um, expresses the eternal through us to the world around us, that will no longer be necessary. That's why he's saying those things will pass away. It's not that the Holy Spirit will pass away or that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are unimportant. What he's saying is is that I will no longer need to express a word of wisdom through you because you will have and be connected to wisdom, the capital W. You will no longer need a word of knowledge to illuminate some place that is dark because you will know as you are known. These ways that the Holy Spirit animates and and activates through us into this world that is predominantly dark and broken without Him will no longer be necessary, but they are not unimportant for us today. They are essential for the mission of the church and the mission of followers of Christ. So, paraphrase of chapter 13, unselfish love, I says, is both inseparable from the other two chapters and essential. And chapter 14, um, which is another message, says, the paraphrase is, the Holy Spirit orchestrates a symphony, not chaotic noise. He doesn't go with Ornette Coleman's free jazz approach. Well, I mean, I love me some free jazz, but um, he does, he orchestrates a symphony that is intelligible and is beautiful, and He animates us together. As I said, why do spiritual gifts exist? To strengthen the church together, to build up the church together, to enlighten the church together, to grow the church together, to inspire the church together, to educate the church together, to train the church together, to energize the church together. And to what end? So the church can accomplish her mission, the eternal mission of Jesus, the spiritual commission of his body and his followers, to go into every corner of the world and fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, immersing people in the kingdom and making disciples everywhere. That's why we need to be strengthened We don't need to be strengthened to sit in a pew for blessed assurance. We need to be strengthened to do the work of God in the earth. How can the church achieve this spiritual mission with natural abilities? You've been given natural abilities. You've been given gifts and talents, maybe as a craftsman, maybe as a teacher, an engineer. You've been given gifts to build things and make things and teach things and create things and... um, you know, all, all manner of artistic expression, you've been given talents, and those are yours. Those are yours to, 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 to form. Those, they're, they're yours to express, and what you do with those gifts is your gift to God. There are offices that God calls people to, apostles and prophets and teachers and administrators and things, and that's your office. But these gifts are not yours the gifts are the holy spirits and we cannot fulfill our mission our spiritual mission to bring the supernatural love of Jesus completely into the earth by any natural ability or talent it is only by spiritual means that we can accomplish the spiritual mission we've been given there are gaps Yes, sorry. There are gaps in this world we cannot cross. There are walls we cannot overcome. There are hidden things we cannot see. There are sicknesses we can't treat, addictions we can't break, hurts we can't help, and hatred we can't quench. The Holy Spirit gifts the church with supernatural ability to bridge gaps that cannot otherwise be crossed, to demolish walls that cannot otherwise be overcome, to illuminate hidden things that cannot otherwise be seen. All in the name of love. Victory in Jesus travels on that high mountain pass of unselfish love, supernaturally powered by the Holy Spirit. The supernatural love of God cannot be contained in a physical body, cannot be restrained by the law of physics, or constrained by the limits of our logic. His supernatural love defies the very natural law of the universe to reach people that cannot be reached to teach people who can't be taught and to release people into destinies that can't be explained. His love, if necessary, is more true than gravity. If gravity must be made a liar to see love win, then so be it. That is our mission. And so to take ground, taking kingdom crowned, on that high mountain pass, where God's love will take us. What do we learn from Paul's teaching in the first half of chapter 12? One, that every gift establishes the lordship of Jesus. In one through four, he's warning people. He says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant because... Even when you were worshiping idols, you got emotionally touched and stirred up and influenced and you had these, you got all snotty on the floor of the altar and you were worshiping idols that are dead, that literally do not exist. So don't confuse every time that somebody gets all snotty that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is possible to be in church and get all snotty and have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. But I want to say I do not judge the effects of the Holy Spirit on any person. When the eternal touches the temporal, it gets messy sometimes. And so we don't look at whether the person gets snotty or not. What we look at is the fruit of whether the manifestation of that gift brought the lordship of Jesus into that person's life or the lordship of Jesus into their family or the lordship of Jesus into our church. Where there was sickness that could not bow and would not bow to the name of Jesus, did the manifestation of the Holy Spirit bring the lordship of Jesus into his life? When there was addiction or a depression that she could not shake, did the manifestation of the Holy Spirit bring the lordship, the enduring lordship of Jesus into their life? That is what we can and should judge. Paul said, if, it, if, the, if the gift as you see it, if the influence is the effect, if it, if it results in it bringing the lordship of Jesus, then it's of me because nothing can do that except me. But if it just turns up into a, a blender of snot wet and tears, that's not necessarily God. In verse 4 through 6, this is an interesting point to me. Um, Many of us, it's hard to comprehend the Trinity, and Paul does a kind of a brilliant job, and it's almost hidden in plain sight. Demonstrating a spiritual gift involves the Trinity. And sometimes we have a hard time relating to a God that's three in one. It's hard to comprehend. I'm... I'd say at least one out of four days, I'm, I have no idea what that, what, that, what that means for my day-to-day life. It's hard to comprehend a God that's completely one and three, or completely three and yet one. But what Paul says is that there are many gifts, but one... There are many assignments, but one Lord, meaning there is one Lord Jesus... And there are many workings or energizings, but one God, the Father. He's listing Spirit, Son, Father. And so what do we see? Well, if I'm going to complete any task, I need three things. I need the necessary tools, I need a specific assignment, and I need adequate energy to complete the job. If you give me a broom and assign me the task of sweeping a particular room, and if I have the energy to do what you say, I can sweep the room, the gifts... Of the Holy Spirit are the tools. Our service, our specific assignment comes from the Lord Jesus. And the working, the energizing, the power that comes inside is from God the Father who wills all creation to life by His Word. And I would say when we look and we don't see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through our lives, the way we read about in Acts or maybe the way we we hoped or wish it was, it might be because we're chasing the wrong assignment or because we have no assignment at all. When you have assignment from the Lord Jesus and you're clear about that high mountain road, there is nothing, no devil in hell that can stand in our way. There is nothing that can stop the supernatural love from bringing the lordship of Jesus into the earth. In 7 through 11, this question has divided many denominations, church splits and everything, and and I'm not not coming at it from a place of theological pride that I have something that nobody else has. But I want to offer something to you that maybe you could wrestle with. This says, any spiritual gift can be expressed by any believer. Many churches and many denominations teach that You are like the person over here. And God comes in and drops one spiritual gift, and you're going to be a left elbow for the rest of your life, or a right hand, or whatever. The body of Christ is not static, it's alive one day you might be an elbow and the next day you could be a hand because you are not filled with a gift. You are filled with His Spirit. And they're not your gifts. They're His gifts. He just wants to be able to use you as any part on any day to accomplish the assignment that the Lord Jesus gave. And those gifts can include, but are not limited to the ones just listed there. And you can see in the book of Acts, you can see Paul, Peter, the apostles, um, both men and women apostles in the book of Acts are listed. Um, and you can, see, um, you can see all of these gifts at work through the same people on different days. Paul was just not, not just given Tongues. He was given the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, just, just I just want I'm not going to do a whole teaching on, on each of the individual gifts, but wisdom think about it as divine, or supernatural understanding of a relationship or circumstance. Knowledge, a word of knowledge, might come to reveal a hidden fact that is not known. Faith. The gift of faith, the supernatural gift of faith. These are not natural abilities. Undeterred belief in the face of overwhelming opposition. Healings. If you notice in that list, it's gifts, plural, of healings, plural. That's a double plural. It means there are many gifts of healings and ways of recovery. There's a a diversity of gifts, of healings, double plural there are some chiropractors that have the gift of healing. And there are people that stand right here or on the plains of Africa and can pray and in a moment deliver healing. And everything in between, And what, there are gifts, diversity of gifts of healings. Miraculous power, the supernatural ability to override nature. You can see Jesus do it. You can see the apostles do it. There are storms that stopped, and buildings that crumbled, and jails that opened. Seas—I mean, the, the, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working through the believer to establish the Lordship of Jesus on an assignment can override nature. There's prophecy; that is a new message from God for people. There's discernment to recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's tongues. And that's also a double plural. There is a diversity of gifts of tongues. And I would just, if you can think about it as communication in an unlearned or heavenly language... Paul worked, he, the, the apostles literally on the on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in a diversity of tongues and everybody heard the message of the gospel in their own language, not languages that people heard. That's one gift of tongues. There's also people's prayer language. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, if I speak with the tongues or the languages of men, or I speak in heavenly language that the angels understand, either one, he's even making the distinction there that there are diversities of gifts of tongues, but the gift, this Holy Spirit empowers us to communicate in languages we haven't learned so that the Lordship of Jesus and the supernatural love goes to the place to accomplish the assignment that we couldn't get to in our natural ability. Singing in the Spirit, there's lots, there's diversities of, of gifts of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues is understanding an unlearned or heavenly language, to be able to perceive or hear in a language you haven't heard for the same purpose. In verses 12 through 14, this is another sticky one. Um, And again, I'm just offering this to you to wrestle with. You may have been trained or taught a different way, and I'm not railing against that. I am just offering you what I believe is in the Scripture. It says... By one spirit, by the same spirit, you were baptized, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, like basically any human distinction doesn't matter. You were all baptized. You were totally immersed in the spirit to become a children of light, to become, you were baptized into the kingdom. But in that scripture, it says, by the spirit you were baptized, we have also been given that same spirit to drink, which is an internal immersion. By one spirit, we were baptized externally, totally immersed. It says we were also given that same spirit to drink, to be filled with, so that the Holy Spirit who makes a temple and a tent out of our body can express and, in, and deliver the supernatural love across every barrier that exists in the earth. Sometimes those events, if you can call them that, occur at the moment that a person gets saved. But like in the book of Acts, there were many who were baptized who were then later filled with the Spirit. And they were filled with the Spirit, and they demonstrated all different demonstrations that were listed in there, gifts that Paul listed when they were filled with the Spirit. And lastly, I want to say that your earnest desire matters. You know, if I took a poll, I believe there is very little opposition to the Holy Spirit in here, to the Spirit moving, to the gifts of the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, being used in some way, But it's easy to be passively available without any earnest desire. Four times in those three chapters, Paul says, Be zealous, fervent, ardent, fervid, fanatical, passionate, impassioned, devout, devoted, committed, dedicated, hardcore, enthusiastic, eager, keen, overkeen, avid, card-carrying, vigorous, energetic, intense, and fierce. About the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not to fixate on one gift for my own spiritual pride. I don't master a one gift that I pick. I am earnestly desiring to be used and to be yielded to the Holy Spirit so he can express any gift through me in the moment to anyone. I am, And when he says, earnestly desire especially that you might prophesy. It's not to fixate and say, God, make me prophesy. God, make me prophesy. God, make me prophesy. It's, Lord, I am so, I wanna be so sensitive, so passionate about you that when I hear and I sense you stirring a prophetic word or a prophecy, I won't miss it because it's a new message from you to the people around me. Especially be sensitive, be passionate Be available, be yielded. We cannot be misinformed, unsettled, and complacent about the Holy Spirit and why He moves and our responsibility to receive the gifts He wants to display through us. No ground is ever surrendered easily by the devil, it is taken by force, with authority. In Jesus' name, often through the supernatural manifestation that the Holy Spirit gives. That's how ground in the kingdom is taken. It is taken in the name of Jesus. But it's not taken with our anger, it's not taken with our shouting, it's not taken with our natural abilities. It is taken by the Holy Spirit releasing supernatural power through us to everyone and anything around us. It's not for our own entertainment, but for the common good, the strength and edification of the church so she is strong and well able to fulfill her spiritual mission in the earth. It is not for chaos, but an order so divine That unbelievers fall on their knees and proclaim, God is really among you. Worship team, can you help me? I want to be open, not just from a standpoint of teaching about it. But we're going to sing another song. And begin to worship to a song called God of Miracles, and it talks about his supernatural love. And whatever the Holy Spirit has revealed to you, whatever the Holy Spirit has prompted you, convicted you, shown you, I want us to ask him for an earnest desire. Ask him for an earnest desire. Lay down your passive availability and receive an earnest desire for the things of the Spirit.